State Library of New South Wales. My name is Claire Fletcher. I'm a program manager at the Walkley Foundation, and I'd start. I'd like to start by acknowledging the and paying my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the elders, past and present, of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. So tonight we present the latest in our series of public talks in partnership with the State Library. Independently funded, the Walkley Foundation's core mission is to foster excellence in journalism and support a robust and independent media which deepens and enriches democracy. You've probably all heard of the Walkley Awards, which benchmarks excellence in journalism. And along with our awards, we host a year-round program of industry and public events. We produce the Walkley magazine and facilitate important conversations about the media, which is what we're hoping to do tonight. I would encourage all of you to visit our website, www.walkleys.com, um, and join our mailing list and you can keep up to date with what we've got coming up. One of our upcoming events will be the Press Freedom Australia Dinner on World Press Freedom Day, the 1st of May. This is our major fundraiser for the Media Safety and Solidarity Fund. The fund assists our colleagues in the Asia-Pacific region through times of emergency, war and hardship. But as well as raising money, we use this as an opportunity to raise awareness. And as well as the dangers and challenges our colleagues face in our region, there are also significant pressures on journalists right here in Australia. Our new national security laws are part of a campaign by our government to control information. They target reporters, whistleblowers and the journalists who work with them. They allow ASIO to spy on journalists accessing data about their stories and sources. These laws are a threat to healthy democracy and deny the public's right to know. If it is wrong to imprison Peter Grester and his colleagues for seven years for doing their job, how can it be acceptable to threaten to jail Australian journalists for up to ten years for doing theirs? Please keep an eye out for the 30 Days of Press Freedom campaign leading up to World Press Freedom Day. You might even like to start using the hashtag 30 days if you're tweeting tonight. I know you're here to hear about it from our wonderful panel, so let's hand over to them. First, a bit of housekeeping. If you have a question, please keep it until the end when we'll take your questions. Um, we'll have a microphone going around. Please speak into it and keep your questions clear and concise. You can join in the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Walkleys, um, but please keep your phones on silent. I'd now like to introduce our chair for the evening, Quentin Denster. Quentin is probably familiar to many of you. He finished last year as presenter of 7.30 New South Wales on ABC TV. He's done a lot for the Walkley Foundation and he's the chair of our Walkley Advisory Board. He was also staff elected director of the ABC from 1992 to 1996. He has 46 years' experience in print and broadcast journalism since he started as a cadet on the Maribyrnong. That'll Island. do, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> he's written books, he's made a member of the Order of Australia. Um, he's wonderful and we're so glad to have him here tonight. So please welcome Quentin. Uh, we're going to chat uh, for 45 minutes and then there'll be time for interaction with the, with the audience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that we live in uh, an Orwellian world of a perpetual war on terror. Just 200 metres away at the Lindt Cafe, there was what was called a lone wolf attack. Uh, Charlie Hebdo, the magazine uh, in Paris, was... Uh, was attacked and uh, the grief and uh, distress around the world uh, mm. as a consequence of those attacks has uh, added to what is uh, 
the psychodynamics, if I can call it that, of, uh, of terror. And under these circumstances, to try to frame this discussion, um, governments are under, you have to acknowledge, governments are under maximum pressure uh, to keep us safe, as they say, to keep us safe. Here to discuss how the Australian government is uh, proposing to keep us safe when it comes to uh, surveilling the, the, uh, the population for signs of, of uh, terror intent uh, to keep us safe, uh, there are some freedoms that may have to go. And Tony Abbott uh, said, the delicate balance between freedom and security may have to shift. So it's that discussion and the implications on journalism and fr press freedom or freedom of expression is what we want to talk about. And I'm joined by uh, two uh, wonderful people. Uh, to my left, Caro Meldrum Hanna. Uh, she's an investigative journalist uh, with the ABC Four Corners program. You might have seen her most recent effort exposing uh, the high standards of probity and integrity in the greyhound racing industry. Caro <laughs> uh, was a finalist for the Walkers last year for her piece, Boy with the Henna Tattoo, about an international pedophile network. So Caro uh, is a, a great investigative journalist and uh, knows all about the great difficulties of protection of sources, a vital element we'll get to. On my right is Josh Taylor. He's a senior journalist for global technology website ZNet. ZDNet. Beg your pardon. It's based in Australia. Josh, uh, Josh is based in Australia. He covers telecommunications, government, IT security and the national broadband network. For the past four years, Josh has been keenly focused on controversial government topics such as internet filtering, mandatory data retention and online copyright infringement crackdowns. In 2014, he was awarded Best IT Journalist at the IT Journalism Awards for his coverage of the NBN and the Coalition's mandatory internet filtering policy. Please welcome our panelists. Um, Edward Snowden, uh, Julian Assange, uh, brave characters, courageous characters, given what's happened to them, uh, has really exposed to the, to the world uh, what is going on as far as uh, surveillance is concerned. Uh, Josh, can you just briefly explain, um, I read a quote from Tony Abbott, but this <coughs> legislation is the Telecommunications Interception and Access Amendment Data Retention Bill 2014, currently before the Parliament. It's the third of a tranche of measures uh, to uh, go at this exercise of counter-terrorism and surveillance um, and using technology to in the assistance of uh, assisting the agencies in that. Tell us um, uh, exactly what this data retention bill proposes to do. Sure. So essentially, uh, the way the way it operates now is that uh, if a law enforcement agency or actually even councils, RSPCA, they can uh, get internal authorization and then go to a telecommunication provider and say. We want access to this person's core records. We want access to these records at this time. We want access to uh, you know who was on this cell tower at this point in time. And the telco would have to hand over. Uh, there is no actual guaranteed length of time that the data is uh, actually kept for now. And this is 
they'll be sure that they're running into it. They've got that right now. They've got, they've got access to it now without a warrant, but the problem is that they don't have uh, a specified data set or uh, a length of time that the data needs to be kept for. So they're, what they're saying is that the data isn't there for a lot of cases. So they'll, they'll go to an, uh, an ISP or, or a tech or something and say, can we have this person's call records? And they're like, we don't actually have them anymore. We believe them. We don't need mm. them anymore. So what the legislation is aiming to do is to make sure that the telcos do keep that data for uh, two years as a minimum. Uh, and it will actually set out the, the data set that they want. So uh, currently, they don't retain a lot of the data that the, um, that the, the law enforcement agencies want. So uh, assigned IP addresses, so when you log on to the internet, what, what your actual, you know, the address that you connect to is. They, uh, they don't what you're searching for. Well, no, that, that, that was one of the things that uh, the, the Attorney General got caught up on. So right. they don't want your browsing history, that's what they've said. Uh, but they want your, your internet, your email addresses. Uh, they want they want who you've been contacting over email, but that's one of the interesting uh, problems with the legislation is that because uh, it's specified to only Australian uh, service providers, if you go say use Gmail or or uh, Microsoft or anything else that's overseas, they have no access to that mm -hmm. in Australia. And what's the use of it? Well, everyone get on Gmail. That's what we're all doing. <laughs> yeah. Don't use your phone, uh, your work yeah. email or your work network. So I work at the ABC. If I'm if I'm engaging in communication with someone who I'm going to need to protect or I've made an undertaking to them that you're going to remain confidential, I'll never, I'll never tell anyone your mm -hmm. name, but I'm going to use your information, I won't be doing anything over ABC email. Ne never use that the work network. You're going to get onto well, Gmail, set up external accounts, and then shut them down once you're done. Presumably lone, lone wolves would do that as well. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the flaws of the legislation as well, actually. Um, so this has been pointed out, but we've got to make it clear that the submissions have closed now and the committee, the select committee of the parliament, is going to report tomorrow. tomorrow. So we're right on the pace here and it's going, to, it's going to come to some concluded views about amendments to the legislation. The Prime Minister wants to pass by about, I think, the 19th of March, so I think the Labor is going to push for some amendments, but uh, yeah, but there, there are a number of flaws in the legislation because the people who they are most trying to track are the people who know how to avoid these sorts of things. Mm. <laughs> so basically everyone in, in Australia is going to get caught up by this thing for a minority of people who know how to but, 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 but the issue is, I mean, look, we can be smart enough now knowing how to use our email systems. I mean, that's a bit of a no-brainer. But there is a big issue with metadata and, and phones. And, I, you know, personally, I'm really scared about that as a journalist. So at the end of, at the end of Four Corners, I let you into a little sort of secret of what happens in production. At the end of every year, we have something called a love-in, and, and we all sit around the team and we discuss how did the year go, and we also discuss what's what's coming up next year that's going to change maybe how you operate. And one of these things was we had a discussion and, and a lecture from some very educated, experienced legal minds who told us you're going to seriously have to think about how you are communicating with your sources next year. And, you know, we're advised to have multiple phones you have to be careful about where you take your different phones because you, you'll have one phone that may be your safe phone. You can never let that connect to your ABC network. You can never let that connect to your home internet network because that very communication, that date, time, location, sending something from that phone connected to that network, that is retrievable by enforcement agencies. So they can see what you're doing. So you need to have a phone almost in absolute isolation to your, your life that you use to communicate, and we were all sort of, well, how are we going to achieve this? Um, 
and we can all get, you know, really paranoid about this is going to happen and our data is going to be pulled and, uh, my, you know, my, my sources are going to be discovered, the people that I protect fiercely. So, you know, th yes, you know, you can be paranoid, but you also really need to smarten up now. I'm sure, Josh, you would agree. Well, we're going to, we're going to uh, get to encryption. One thing I wanted to raise, when we had a discussion with the Walkley Talks last year, I interviewed Thomas Draker, uh, like Edward Snowden, another national security agency whistleblower, and Jesslyn Radak, who was the uh, lawyer for Snowden. And uh, what Snowden and uh, Greenwald, who wrote uh, from The Guardian, wrote that book about the Snowden process and the, the documentary, uh, what's Citizen it? Four. Citizen Four. It's now on the big screens, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so, we, so we've got to we've got to catch up uh, with that. But um, what what uh, they'd indicated is to get it quite clear in, in people's minds is that uh, all the law enforcement agencies and the security agencies have instantaneous and immediate access to our metadata. It's like having your Telstra bill when your Telstra or your Optus bill showing the the time of your call. Uh, to, who you, to whom you called and, uh, and incoming traffic. And they've, they've got that. They can, somebody in a security NSA or ASIO can go to that immediately and say, what's happening here? So I'll, I'll explain the difference between how the uh, US system operates and how the Australian one operates. So in, uh, in the NSA, they collect all the data directly from the telcos themselves. They store it in, in, in an NSA service. And the, the reason why the government say that ours is different and slightly better is because that it's not the government themselves that are storing this data. It's, it has to reside with, with you know, 300 or so telcos that are in Australia. Uh, so, and they have to apply for access to it that way. So that, it does delineate, but, but it is still a fairly easy process. They, all they have to do is get some internal approval within the agency and then hand it over to the telco and get that data. But if they had, if they had a genuine, uh, say somebody phoned the terror hotline and said, hey, you better monitor this person, they could go immediately with a warrant uh, to to establish uh, oh, any any <laughs> with, without a warrant yeah, yeah. because national security would indicate they have immediate yeah they have a reason have a reason the thing about um, uh, the Snowden uh, revelations was that um, uh, they they can do this um, they want to they want to have a huge vacuum cleaner to take all data yeah. they want everything yeah. why do they want everything. Because when you've got the entire haystack, it's very, very easy to start picking through it and look for things that you need. It, it, you know, well, if you were the head of the NSA, you'd want it too, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, ACO, uh, ACO was in the Senate estimates yesterday, and they said 95, 99% of the data that, we could, that is going to be collected, we won't need it. Yeah. We just mm. need it just to But they still want it, because yes. if, if, some, if an investigation's uh, really starting to pick up pace, they've got information, they'd say, we've got to have that now. Yeah. So I can understand that, can you? Yeah, so they've, they've said that uh, metadata, uh, as they like to call it, is basically the foundation for almost every investigation that they started. So it's the first point of, of investigation for them, which seems a little bit lazy to me because it wasn't always there in the past. So to say that they need it all the time now seems a little bit... But this isn't just about national security. No. And that's the scary thing about this act. We're not just talking about terrorism and those sorts of offences. This act is quite, sits actually quite distinct from the other two that have moved through Parliament in that this is actually about anything really. This Telecommunications Act, the Minister can deem to any enforcement agency, if he or she sees fit, 
that they can have the powers to retrieve this information. So, for, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. So, for example, I just did the report on greyhounds. Could then, in after this bill passes, is it foreseeable that the minister could then say, okay, I've had an application from all the racing authorities? They're, they're, they're investigative bodies in themselves. They're the regulatory regulator. bodies. Yeah. Um, that They want to get all of Caro's uh, <laughs> data and see what she was doing. I mean, is that possible? So, uh, one of the so-called privacy safeguards that are included in the legislation is that they've married the agencies that will have access to this data. So it was you know, RSPCA, all those mm. six agencies had access to it, but now they're sort of limited down to uh, you know, the law enforcement, AFP, state uh, police and things like that. But there is that uh, possibility for an agency to then go and apply to the Attorney General and be asked to be added to the list. I know um, ASIC is quite mm. upset that they've been left off the list, so they're, they're already trying to apply to be added to the list. It's to corporate fraud and yeah. to, to protect the shareholders. There is, there is legitimate reason for ASIC to be on there, but um, they did also accidentally block 200,000 websites once, so I'm a little bit reluctant for them to have too much internet power. <laughs> well, they could reform us, but... Look, um, okay, what is the specific, Josh, what is the specific threat to journalists? Because um, there's, a, there's a custodial uh, sanction in this legislation. Uh, so, what do you mean by custodial sanction? Jail. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so that, that was part of the previous one, the, um, the, the 10 years for, uh, for disclosing uh, special intelligence operations. I believe there's, a, there's another amendment that's gone through now because Labor in all their wonders, uh, after agreeing to pass the legislation and voting for the legislation, realised that it had an impact on journalism and then went back to the government and said, can we actually need it? So that's, that's going through and that'll probably go after the data retention, data retention will be first. Let's just get this clear. This is the foreign terrorism legislation, foreign fighters bill. Yes. A concern about the recruitment of jihadis uh, in the Australian population. Yeah, and, um, and the, op the operation of what they call special intelligence operations. So yeah. if, if um, ATO is carrying out some sort of investigation, um, which can be deemed whatever they want. So if, if a journalist is, finds out about some corrupt sort of thing that ASIO is doing and then reports on it, and that it gets classified as a special or a bundle, or a bundle, yeah, or a bundle, mm. then uh, and it gets classified as a special intelligence operation, then they face ten years jail. Okay, yeah. so what about this? It's all, as, from what I understand, you know, in a practical sense, it's all about, as a journalist, you're not allowed to be naughty and disclose a special intelligence operation and broadcast this information because you could be jeopardising, say, an investigation. You're naughty, naughty, you're not allowed to do that. So what's in the legislation is that, okay, you're a journalist, I have this hot information, this is amazing, and I want to get this out there, and there's a public right to know, and there's an enormous public interest argument to it. So what do I do? Is this a special intelligence operation? So apparently you need to ring the ASIO hotline and say, hey guys, I've got this amazing information. Disclose everything to them. Can I please publish? And they will probably say, no, this is a special intelligence operation. And really all you're doing as well is saying, hello, please go and get an injunction so that we can't even get to air. So you really lose an enormous amount of control if, in that field, I say, of reporting of national security. I don't know how that's going to work in practice. And I think of last year on, on 7.30, Sean Rubenstein Dunlop, he's a, he's a reporter there, and he's done an amazing sort of set of work in this area. And he put out a story on this bloke called Mohamed Barielli, who was at, see, is the linchpin of sending Australians over to Syria to fight. 
He'd been named this bloke in, in court documents and records previously, but Australians had never seen him. We'd never heard his voice. We never knew what he looked like, how he operated. All his you know, associations. Exactly. And we saw him. You know, Sean put out this story and it was fantastic. You saw him street preaching. And you really got an understanding of who this man was and how has it, had he gone through this incredible journey. Now, would that story... And this was a man who was, who had, was over in Syria by that point when they broadcast... Would that have been a special deemed a special intelligence operation by ASIO? I mean, could that story have ever happened? Can they declare it a special intelligence op operation after the event? Retrospectively, yeah. they actually can. They? I think they can. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's up to the whim of the Attorney General of the day, and I think that's the major problem with it. Okay, um, there's no there's no jail on the data retention. There's no. What what is the implication for journalism about um, uh, the data retention? So, the implication is that we our all journalist data gets kept as well as everyone else in Australia. So, um, all it takes is and because there is no you don't need a warrant, you don't need external approval, you don't need a judge to say okay that person's a journalist, you can't get their data. Um, it's just internal agency approval and. It doesn't take that much effort to. Uh, there was an, uh, I was on the uh, radio national show a couple of weeks ago, and they had a police insider on there saying that he could slip in his ex-girlfriend's phone number and, and uh, access requests fairly easily and get access to every person she's been calling. So it doesn't take all that much. And there, there have been instances already of journalists who have had their uh, data access. I don't know if um, anyone's in the report, but uh, the immigration department accessed a whole bunch of journalists' uh, call records because mm. of. Uh, of everything that's going on in offshore detention and all the leaks that are coming out of that. Um, I know uh, Laurie Oaks has had his, um, had his data access before, so uh, it, it will not take all that much for a journalist to have to give up their source if they're using their phone. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's yeah. all about your sources. You're not going to go to jail under this, this piece of legislation, the, as far as I understand. May, but, yeah. The, yeah, well, the whistleblower may, absolutely, and the whistleblower, and that's, that's where it all gets down to. You know, as a journalist, I mean, I don't know, would we have found out about Captain Emad, Sarah Ferguson and Deb Masters on Four Corners, that program, exposing the people smugglers here, the links back to Australia? Could that story happen now? And that, you know, there were sources in there, and like many other programs that need to be protected. That happens routinely. Um... It just makes it so much easier for the people that you're protecting and who've been so brave giving you stuff and telling you stuff and telling you to go certain places at certain times and giving you documents because they want people to know that something really bad is going on and it should be exposed. They can, you can't protect them under this legislation. It, you know, two years of your data, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, where you were, what time, location, place... They can piece together who you were talking to. And once they find that person out, you know, you think about what's going to happen to their lives. And as journalists, you carry enormous responsibility for the people that have been brave enough to speak to you and, and help you in a report. And, you know, there's no shield law here. You can't shield them in court. Um, I mean, I went through a scenario, and this is before this legislation, obviously. There are all sorts of ways companies or people will try and compel you to hand over your sources. At 7.30, I, in my first year of reporting, I... There was a story I did on Star Casino and we had been given information about high rollers and we, we rolled out a report and the next thing I know, we're slapped with all sorts of legal sort of mechanisms that were going on by Star to compel Discovery. what I believe yeah. to disclose who I was yeah. talking to and who, who, who gave us this information. There were subpoenas and notices to produce and 
it was this game of cat and mouse, and it was it, it was very scary because the people the people that I had been dealing with were actually legitimately fearful of what was going to happen to them, mm -hmm. really scared, and you know we got that close. So now with this, it makes it so much easier. Okay, now, we've made, made it quite clear that uh, all the not only the general public and their uh, mm, data, mm. Um, but also more sensitively the, the journalists' uh, metadata being retained for uh, two years. Mm. Um, is there any prospect that this legislation, we've got to see what the committee says tomorrow, can be amended because the media alliances on behalf of the journalists of Australia have put in uh, submissions. I think all the major, major media companies have put in submissions. Yes, yes. Uh, is there any way, any, any particular amendment that could be imposed that would give the uh, the right to know <laughs> a little bit of a stake here? So my understanding is that uh, firstly, one of the important things to point out is that the data set is actually defined by regulation. It's not going to be included in the legislation itself. Mm. So that means that uh, you know, we all trust um, Attorney General George Reynolds, so maybe not, but, um, uh, you know, it, there may be a, an Attorney General in a couple of years' time who's a little bit more authoritative and wants, you know, browsing history, uh, the actual content of emails, things like that. They could actually just define it without getting parliamentary approval. So I think one of the important amendments that I think Labor is probably going to put up is to make sure that data is defined in legislation. And the second uh, potential amendment that we may see is... Uh, having it, so it's some sort of journalist cutout, so you can't actually access this data if it's for a journalist, but I don't know how you do that if it's not external approval. Who's a journalist? Who's a journalist yeah. nowadays? Yeah. Everybody's a blog. Everybody's a journalist. It has to be a, a warrant, and, and law enforcement agencies have repeatedly stated again and again and again that if there is some sort of warrant process, it will grind their investigations to hold. They, they haven't ever provided any evidence to this, and, and international experience says that it doesn't slow it down. I mean, they access this data something like over half a million times every year. So to maybe put a, a little bit of a slowdown thing isn't actually a bad thing. But uh, I think that, yeah, you will run into trouble of how you define what a journalist is because, uh, you know, it's, it's so changing. Right? You, you know, you can go with the major media organisations, but, you know, someone like me who doesn't work at, you know, ABC or Fairfax, that's a little bit more limiting. So I don't know how you define it. Okay, well, let's, uh, we'll have, see how the committee grapples with that because the committee has to address the salient points raised by all the objectors, yes. including the journalists of Australia and the media companies of Australia. Yes, I think that uh, the government needs Labor support to get through the Senate, so I think that while Labor will probably, per se, never really reject any national security legislation, we'll probably go for it. I feel like the amendments will be strong enough, or hopefully at least some, some sort of comfort towards what's coming through. Josh, um, uh, since uh, Snowden and uh, particularly Snowden um, and the realisation that uh, uh, there's no such thing as privacy, um, tell us um, uh, why privacy is uh, important. Uh, I think uh, it's your it's your control over your, your own information. I think that's that's basically control over your life. Yeah, it's control over your life. You know, we're often the comparison is made that oh we're we're putting so much of our lives up online on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, things like that. But the difference is that that's what people are putting up on there. They they have the choice to put up on there. If people are having this data recorded against their will and it's being accessed unknowingly, 
then you know how how you know what, what's your right to privacy there? Mm. Because it, privacy often clashes with uh, journalism, um, and um, governments um, who don't like. Uh, investigative journalists, uh, Caro, <laughs> would say we need more, particularly politicians uh, under examination, say well, we need more privacy protections to, uh, and redefinition of uh, public interest and public yes. benefit. Uh, I, I, this, this came out in this previous discussion where the privacy is so important to your, your sense of self and, uh, and, uh, and your own uh, individual security and how you broker that uh, in an age of, our, as I said, a perpetual war on terror is a real difficulty. Tell us though, Josh, you're the IT expert, that this is now leading to a new momentum for encryption. Yes, yes. Now, um, we've already got high mm. levels of encryption in internet banking. If there were substantial breaches of internet banking, no one would be doing any banking uh, transfer of funds, EFT as it's called, anywhere. So encryption works to secure, of course there have been some breaches, but it's, it's the public confidence in encryption in internet banking is, is clearly established, and you do phone banking as well. Yeah. Um, tell us about encryption as far as uh, my use of my mobile phone. <laughs> So one of the one of the interesting things that came out of the, the Stone revelations is that uh, the NSA said that they had all this access to Apple and Google and Microsoft and everything like that. And uh, Apple and Google and Microsoft went, hey, wait, what's going on? I didn't know about this. So uh, over the past year and a bit, they've been uh, beefing up, or they tell us they've been beefing up their encryption. And um, oh, actually, we do know this because uh, the uh, intelligence agencies aren't very happy about it because. Uh, there's been some pushback by. Yes, yes. So I, uh, the new uh, iPhone, the latest iOS 8, uh, actually encrypts on the, the device level. So uh, even if oh. even if uh, Apple was somehow being tapped centrally, uh, the encryption happens on the device itself. So uh, mm -hmm. only the only the user can unlock it. So that's that's a little bit more company, and, and Google's doing the same as well. Um, but yeah. I, but what does that mean for metadata? Anything? Uh, that, unfortunately, because your communication is still going to the network. But the difference is, so uh, with uh, iOS at least, you've got iMessage, which is mm. the SMS replacement. That's all encrypted, so they don't have access to that. Uh, SMS, they don't Time to. and who? They, uh, they don't have, certainly don't have content, but they don't have time. Well, that, that goes over IP, so that, that would, it would They would have that. No, no, they wouldn't have that. I don't think it would be encrypted, so that would be fine. Um, they, so, they would have the uh, IP address you had when you were sending that, but that's all. So, um, uh, to any ASIO agent in the defence signals, could you please raise your hands? Um, look, um, what I'm trying to drive at, has there been overreach by the security agencies, uh, under pressure, uh, uh, understandably as they are, in uh, in trying to, uh, and, and encryption is, is part of the pushback. They're always going to be pushing for more. I mean, they've been asking for data retention since 2009, and, and they've been pushing every, again and again, each time there's a new government or there's a new attorney general, they push for it. Or another uh, terror incident. Yeah, uh, and, and it will, the funny thing is that, uh, although we've had a, a number of incidents lately, neither of the Sydney had anything to do with metadata, because uh, he was known to police, he had 
Facebook videos up that were talking all about everything. Was <laughs> everything but, was on the public record. Yeah, he, he had, uh, I think the month before he, before he um, went into the cafe, he had something like 18 calls into the terrorist hotline. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, and the other one with the Charlie Hebdo attack on as well. France has mandatory data retention, and it didn't prevent that from happening. No. So <laughs> to, to lord it as some sort of, uh, you know, uh, miracle security measure, it's misplaced. Yeah, no. Well, that's that's the regrettable truth of the matter, isn't it? They're always going to ask for more data, but that's it's, it's only a matter of time before they say the tools that we have now aren't working. That's why the data set isn't in the legislation because they want to say, that, oh, we, we actually think we need more. Uh, a very good point. So when people look at the committee's report and see what comes out the other end of the legislative amendment process, yeah. we should look at the declaration of the data set and whether it is uh, defined by regulation, which means there's a ministerial discretion on its definition. And uh, that's all done uh, uh, behind closed doors. And uh, uh, would, it, would it be gazetted? Uh, would the public know about it? Uh, so that's that's what we're waiting to see because they've been, they've released the draft data set, but they've been working to, uh, with the telcos and the law enforcement agencies to figure out what else needs to be kept. And, and it does say in the legislation that uh, some things may not be defined because they don't want people to know that they're defined. So. Uh, one, of the, one of the weird things, like, you know, if, you, if you're wearing a, a Fitbit or something to track how many steps you're walking a day, they, they kind of don't want that, but they don't want you to know that they don't want that. Just give them something. It's a weird sort of, uh, you know, they don't want to give away too many of the things that they're doing. Okay, it's a big problem for uh, any, uh, any country about how this balance is to be, is to be made. And um, uh, have you got any ideas, uh, uh, Caro? Because I do acknowledge um, that... Uh, the pressure on government to keep us safe. Yeah, absolutely. And as a journalist, you are always engaging in a balancing act. Is what we are doing in the public interest? Should people be, be learning about this? What's the point of this? Are we just rolling out information because it's juicy or salacious or it's going to get a bit, a bit of shock factor or is there you know, actually some real substance to this? What so is you the engage, Exactly. So you engage, you're engaging in that balance all the time and your, your producers and your executive producers are, are doing that with you to ensure that what you're doing has merit. I think it's done by all journalists, isn't it, Alan uh, Jones? Of course. <laughs> but, I, but I think, look, I, by and large, that's, we, we are striking that balance. Mm. I, I, in, in in judgment, in your editorial yeah, judgment, what I, you go for, and the, I think so. and the viewing Sometimes and the viewing and listening public soon lets you know if, you, if your judgment you'll, is you'll, amiss. You'll know, yeah, and you'll you're have, barking you up the wrong tree. Too. So we've got we've got authorities that are that are always checking us out whether we're acting appropriately. Uh, that's that's what that's how I'd answer that question. It's we're a, already engaging in the balancing act before we publish. Uh, journalism is what people don't want to be reporting, everything else is just PR. So I feel like mm. you know, even if, if the government didn't like what we were doing, then why are we writing it in the first place? Mm. You know, Kate McClymon, the SMH. I mean, look at what's been achieved with her incredible reportage, you know, and we see Eddie O'B being dragged into ICAC. You, you sort of think, okay, well, what, what are going to be the fears on... Or will, you know, very brave journalists out there start to think, oh, hold on, should I be pulling back? Well, the, Am I going to be able to protect this person? Should I be pulling back? Yeah. Okay, let's just quick, quickly talk about um, uh, if data is to be retained, even on the data sets in legislation. Um, it 
and it, it is difficult to give in these circumstances shield protection mm -hmm. to journalists. What practically can journalists do uh, when um, courageous informants uh, approach them by whatever means to protect them? Uh, you've indicated that uh, you certainly don't leave a, uh, a, a, a trail of uh, metadata uh, to track uh, your interaction delete, with the Delete, 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 delete. So what have we got to do? We've got to meet behind the, behind the railway station or what? Well, look, you know, if you seriously think this is dangerous, not just for yourself but for the other person, yes. Don't, you're not on the phone. You have to have a clandestine yeah, plan you, you meet someone yeah. somewhere and you don't take your phone with you because you'll be placed at that location and so will that person. GPS trackers. They're very helpful in finding the finest yes. restaurants. So, you just go back to, I don't know, old, the old ways of journalism, I guess. Boots on the ground. Mm. Josh? Yeah, I think that's it. And, and encryption, obviously. So, you've got, um, and that, that's one method of doing it. So, you can go through, uh, you go to PGP keys, so you, your email's much more encrypted than you can do. Say that again. PGP key. Uh, Take this down, people. <laughs> Pretty good privacy. Pretty good privacy. So um, you can buy. You can buy a. No, no. It's it's all free. Um, yeah. It's it's a slightly better encryption. It's it's not foolproof, uh, but it is an extra layer that you can go through. Um, and yes. Yeah, and Edward Snowden in in um, the documentary and in the book. What's the documentary called? Uh, Citizen Four. Citizen Four. We've all got to see it to bring ourselves up to full information. Uh, he'd certainly in, engage with uh, Greenwald and the others and say, hey, have you got this encryption program? He went through a number of steps with them to making sure they had the right encryption. And then uh, when he was actually giving them the documents, they had what they call an air gap computer, which is a computer that has never, ever been on the internet before. And that's where they looked at all the documents to make sure that they were getting everything right because they can never trust it. You know, if it's been on the internet before, then it could be compromised. It could be something like that. It's probably everything. So. That's, yeah, there's multiple different steps that you can go through. I think, I think it's right. You've got, to, you've got to mix some of the old school journalism techniques of just meeting them and then uh, you, know, the, you can go through the high tech stuff. I think uh, the, 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 best uh, the best journalists for the next generation will be using the combination mm, of both. Absolutely. How, how, yeah, how, do you, how do you transfer files? Yeah. You, you, you're not going to be able to meet, meet someone in a park at 11 o'clock at night if they're living in Perth and I'm living in Sydney. So. Well, you've got to figure out a way to get to get what I need from them to me, you know, using using all file sharing services that, that aren't trackable. Australia Post. Australia Post. <laughs> it's too slow. It's too, too slow. slow. <laughs> and even Express, I'm waiting a day. And they can track that too, I suppose. And, and VPNs, so virtual private networks. So that would make your virtual say it again, virtual, virtual private network. network. It makes your traffic. Um, it's, it's a little more better for your, for your internet traffic. It basically. And it makes your IP address appear to the rest of the world to be somewhere else. Mm. So um, if you if you so we'll have the Russian mafia down <laughs> So a lot of people use it now to watch Netflix. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is. Uh, I, I can't condone download illegal <laughs> download, Josh. Right. Let's open it up to questions. Um, any brave souls? Yes. Yeah, uh, thanks for the comment. Um, I've absolutely heard everyone has seen it. Hang on, you, you've seen it, have you? Uh, I've seen Citizen Four, and it's amazing. You think you know what it was all about, and there's a whole lot more stuff there. Plus, you see um, him, and he's an immensely impressive young man, talking from the very film at the very early point where he was trying to decide 
you know, whether to put this stuff... Expose himself to the world, yeah. Yeah, but I also want to say, in view of what you've been talking about, um, it finishes um, with these guys, you know, Greenwald, and, and um, they're sitting in a, a, a little hotel room, you know, and exactly what you've just been saying, Caro, where they're writing stuff on bits of paper and handing it to each other in the end, in this mm. final image. Um, and then he talks about the fact that really you do have to, you will have to go out, you will have to go elsewhere, that it does come down, and then they're tearing up the little bits of paper. Yeah, that's right, dispose of everything. Mm. So it is, it is, that's a very real concern, you know, a very real concern, I think. Mm. But go and see the film, it's just... Well, we will, it's all I will, yeah. Yes, any other questions? Um, yes, going back into ancient history, if you meet somebody in a cafe, you'll be tracked on CCTV. There are security cameras up and down most streets around town. And, and I love the law enforcement agency going for uh, face recognition technology. I think they've already got it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that provides a problem to start off with. And the second part of the question is how do you, um, your investigative techniques um, link through with um, queries from Interpol who would presumably have access to everything that um, ASIO is going to have access to but may also have requirements for access of a different kind. So, so there's this, uh, this is an organisation called Five Eyes. It's a very ominous sounding. It's basically uh, Australia, the US, the UK, Canada, and I think New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. And they all have a share information sharing arrangement. So uh, they can, uh, if, if an agency in Australia wants, uh, say, Gmail, for example, they can apply through that to uh, to go through the normal processes. But uh, Google is fairly, uh, say, restrictive on that now because they basically. If you look at the, uh, the, uh, Google and Apple and all these different companies publish transparency reports every year that basically say these are how many requests we've got that we can talk about, uh, this is how, how many times we disclose data and things like that. And usually when you see Australia, it's very, very low. We, they, mm. we make very few requests and very few of them are approved. The five eyes you remember, um, uh, the Snowden uh, revelations were very embarrassing to Australia because the Defence Signals uh, Directorate uh, tapped the phones of uh, Susulo Bambang Yudiono and his wife and other <coughs> Indonesian ministers and, uh, and officials. Mm. And um, uh, that was embarrassment uh, all round, but it showed uh, the sharing of that um, actual content mm. of the President's uh, phone conversations uh, with the Five Eyes. Um, and um, uh, we don't know whether that is uh, ceased or not. The assurances have been given protocols uh, have been entered into to try to re repair the relationship with Indonesia. Uh, well, whether we ever do repair it given other circumstances we're facing at the moment. That information sharing five eyes, is Australia would, would commonly use that, wouldn't they? As my understanding is for pursuing, you know, child sexual assault, pedophile rings, all that sort yeah, of stuff. That's, that's, that's probably the majority. Yeah, that's, where I, that's mm. where I came across it, in that henna tattoo program. Yeah. And that was, you know, integral to all of these people being nabbed, but anyway, sorry. Well, it, well that, that's... No, yeah, no one is arguing that there are not visionary reasons Absolutely, for the yeah. And, but there are also, sorry, there are also different measures for uh, 
So if they're concerned, for example, if they're, if they're focusing on a particular one, they can uh, do what is called preservation orders, and they can ask Telcos to start keeping data on specific users who, are they, who they don't have. And they've got grounds. They've got grounds for yeah. inquiry. Yeah. 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 Of criminality, of serious criminality. Yeah, and then they can keep all those records and then they have all that to go through. Um, but I think uh, one of the major complaints is that we, or which we don't know who we're going to go to, and, and uh, the, uh, the pedophile rings usually come up because mm. they say that uh, although you know a lot of the telcos do keep all these records, uh, you know we weren't able to get 10, 15 people because we didn't have those records. Mm. And in, in corporate uh, corporate fraud and malfeasance and uh, drug drug dealing and what have you, of uh, money laundering on a grand scale, uh, Australia with other countries has what's called Austrac, mm -hmm. uh, run out of there at Chatswood. So every every transaction over 10, 10 grand mm -hmm. each day is is surveilled. So if you transfer ten thousand mm -hmm. uh, somewhere else, uh, it's uh, you're being monitored <laughs> uh, legitimately. Legitimately, I think mm -hmm. there's been no concern about that because it's a it's a law enforcement and a taxation and protection and measure. So it should be said that banking banks do have to keep a lot of the same records that uh telcos are now being asked to keep as well. So they do keep long records for the law enforcement. Okay, another question? Yeah, you mentioned um, the use of VP and, and the use of encryption um, before. I just wondered up to what extent I mean the use of VPNs and encryption is not rocket science. Uh, most people can do it. Um, so, to what extent wouldn't that make the, learn, the, the laws as they're currently being proposed um, obsolete within a year or two? Well, or not effective. Not effective. Yeah. The law enforcement have been fairly frank and upfront in saying that, oh yeah, we know this this would that VPNs and encryption do limit what we can do, but we still want it just in case for those those people who are further stupid enough not to use it effectively. So they are they are fully aware that um, that this is one limitation of it, but uh, it's not stopping them from trying to push for it anyway. It's a simple one, and about the use of a phone anyway to make your contact. Uh, is that going to be monitored as well? So how do you do your work? Your mobile or your land? Your personal phone. Oh, personal phone. Absolutely. If your personal phone, you can have a gazillion phones, but if your personal mobile phone connects to your ABC network or even your home network, yes, that can, that's a, nothing, is, nothing is immune at all. It's all about where you're moving and what you're connecting to. I find it a bit hard to work out whether it's a, this legislation is much against anti-terrorist, as much anti-terrorist or anti-whistleblower. And I'm not too sure which governments hate more. Okay. Very good point. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, George Brandis is called Snowden a traitor, where if, you, if you've seen Citizen Four, you can see that he's anything but that, because he... Uh, it's very, very careful. He, he gave over all these documents to uh, Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras and everyone, and he was very unclear about, oh, I'm not a journalist, I don't know what should, what should and shouldn't be out there. I know that there's stuff that shouldn't be out there. I will leave that to you mm. guys to decide as the journalist to go and figure out what is appropriate to disclose. Mm. So I think that, you know, mm. he is definitely a whistleblower, but yeah, clearly the government don't see it that way. Yeah, and that, I think there was constitutional we're... breach in those cases, in, in, from Snowden's revelations indicated constitutional reach, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the CIA and the National Security Agency. Yeah, and the governments, the US government is at least, uh, they've, they've been talking about acting on it and, and maybe scaling down. I, uh, one of the interesting things this week is that uh, I, 
Department of Family and Security might not be funded just because of immigration, but I, the fact that they're not getting outraged about the surveillance thing as much is, is interesting to me. Hmm. Another question? Um, yeah, this one's mainly for Josh. I was just wondering, it sounds a little bit sort of speculative and dystopian. Do you think there could be a, a situation maybe in you know, 10 years where if this went really out of hand that journalists could be forced you know, to use the dark web or like underground into you know, really, really clandestine kind of things? Is that something you think would be possible at all or is that a long way off? I think that's, I think that's, 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 that's Orwellian, yeah, that's true. I think that's where it's already going. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't feel secure all of the time with how I communicate with people now. I just have to... So you've used VPNs and all that. I use VPNs, I use encryption, yeah, things like that. But uh, it, it, a lot of that is dependent on the person that's getting in contact with you doing that as well. So you have to be very careful. Like, I make sure I have a lot of uh, verbal conversation, you know, like uh, in person, rather than over the phone or over email or anything like that. I assume everything mm. over email is on the record, one way or the other. Because it's not really about you as a journalist, really. We no, aren't the story, the journalist. It's all about the person who's giving you the information. It is. That's the point, isn't it? We're not the. You know, we're the. We're the conduit. The sort of collateral the, damage. We're the conduit. Exactly. The mm. Yeah. I was um, listening to Radio National last week, the media report, and one of um, Channel 7's uh, investigative reporters was from Sunday night. Um, was talking about how uh, he had had. He wasn't concerned about this until he had his records trawled. Yeah. Uh, through by the authorities, um, but he also mentioned how you know sometimes he gets caught up by sources and he says you know you've just left a trail, go elsewhere. Uh, he's giving away the story, and I've been wondering you know we we know about this as journalists now, but sources don't like so it's they they, they end yes. up disclosing themselves anyway, so I'm trying to figure out... We have to educate exactly. the whistleblowers. Exactly, yeah, that's what it's all about. What, what have you got in mind? <laughs> well, that's what I'm asking you. What, what do you think we can do about this? Um, I guess one way that I was thinking of is making sure that we have more, you know, dead drop boxes or whatever those things are where you have the online yeah. anonymous thing. Drop box. Yep. Yeah. But, but I can't think of any other ways because it, it just happens all the time. People will call you up and it's like... Look, I don't know what journalists... Uh, very few journalists would throw away a very good story. Um, but you just cease and desist that contact with them and, and use alternative means. Yeah, I guess it comes down to... Uh, you have to make yourself available in a way that you know you're going to be secure for them. I think it does come down to those drop boxes and things like that. Another question? Yeah, this kind of follows on from that question, but it was more of a practical approach to how, like, Carol, how do you now approach sources to convince them that they should talk to you in light of all of this? <laughs> um, we're not quite there yet, so it's, it's still, a, a, it's easier. You, you give them your absolute assurance that you'll protect them in, in, in every single way, and you will, even, you know, in a court of law, that you will never, ever disclose their identity and you, you, you will take responsibility for that, you know, there are, there are punishments for that, for, for not well, revealing who they are. very but brave journalists have gone to jail to protect exactly. them. It's an internationally accepted, do. it's an internationally accepted, even though it's unlawful to not mm -hmm. answer the question been, yeah. you know, when you're asked about who, who gave this to you, but it's internationally accepted by journalists, you don't give up your source. No, you don't roll. At the moment we do that, we're stuffed. Exactly. Your career's over anyway if you do that, so you, you stand firm. The only thing that a journalist really has to trade on is their integrity and, and that they, their word, really. That's what, and if you, you, you know, if you're consistent with that and you never go back on that, people, people will talk to you and they'll trust you. And this, this I suppose, the real danger is that with the, the metadata 
is that there is a real easy way to establish who's been feeding you this information. Which is why you need to get smart and understand how to how to elicit things from people in a way that's not going to put them in danger, as we've been discussing. You know, dead drops are a great example. So setting up ways that they can send files to you without being traced. Tell us quickly about how dead drops work, Joe. It's basically like a, an email address you may use a couple, once or twice, and then just move on to something else and just, mm. just make yourself. And you both have access. But, but if, I, if I get a, a Gmail address, quentindemster at gmail.com. Well, um, you wouldn't call it that, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> <And upload. laughs> Super secret. It could never be, going to be, could found be a out false it. trail. Yeah. And up, upload. Encrypt and. Uh, Encrypt and upload. It basically comes down to uh, it's going to be much harder to be a journalist. So you're going to have to go through all those measures to do it. But that's the price you pay with so I guess it, it, uh, it's not going to be easy. You can't just you know call someone up. It's basically you have to go through all these steps to just make sure it's secure. Anybody else? I was just going to say I'm, I'm a journalism student, and I was wondering when you guys figured this all out. <laughs> 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 Well, uh, well, I think we're, because we're on the pace with this committee report being tomorrow. dropped tomorrow, uh, I've certainly been informed by this discussion, and we will watch to see. And um, and I think the reporting that which goes on about this and the comments that are made by the journalists uh, uh, about the deficiencies of the of the bill, and to see how it goes through uh, the Senate, because there's a lot of uh, politics left in this. Uh, before this uh, this data retention legislation is carried, it, it'll hopefully it, I think it'll be passed by the nineteenth. But hopefully, there's a bit of a, a, a fuss kicked up before then. It hasn't. So it, there's been a lot more of a fuss about similar things in the UK because journalists have actually had their records accessed by the GCHQ there, which is the equivalent of ACO. Um, there hasn't been as much of a fuss yet, and I'm not really sure why. You get sort of the, the tech journalists who are processing the a few of the journalists who are on top of the issue, but by and large, you're not really getting that much attention paid to it as, as much before. Thankfully, Labor seems to have noticed this time that journalists are affected by this. They've made quite a few statements saying that we need to protect journalists, so that's at least somewhat hard. Maybe we've all had our heads in the sand, but I mean, really, until someone sat down with us and spoke about it last year, mm. oh, well, I can only speak for myself. I certainly didn't appreciate the, the mm. gravity and the breadth and the depth of, the, of this stuff. Mm. Mm. I know that for weeks, but they've been talking about Where the have you been? since ISPs. <laughs> and, yeah, they tried to get Labor drawn about it for a while and didn't quite get there, but yeah, they, they got there in uh, George Wendy's. Mm. Yes, another question. Um, so Hang on, the mic's coming. We need to record this. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is more a question for Josh. Um, I guess with the major media organisation signing that letter saying, let's insert the clauses, let's limit the kind of um, discretion at the minister's control to define which journalists get um, you know, their information trawled through. I guess the campaign's very much, let's put in all the clauses we can to protect and restrict um, do you see a way that um, you know the present legislation can exist um, being tweaked enough that it, it you know it, it you know gives the protections that journalists need, or do we just need to look at some point just totally removing that altogether? I I think that the only way they can do it so journalists are protected is to have a warrant or some sort of judicial approval. So you need to uh, go to an agency to get approval 
uh, before you can access that data. Because once that data is accessed, then you can get over your contacts. I think that's the only way you can do it. it whether it goes in that, that far or not really comes down to the wording and how they want it to be put in. I feel like they can probably push back a fair bit because uh, uh, the government really wants this legislation to get through and quickly. So mm -hmm. I feel like they can probably push back fairly hard if they want to. And I think they may have a little bit of background on this and may be willing to uh, to fight it if they think it's not there. I mean, all the stuff that's going on this week with uh, Jill and Triggs and everything like that maybe gives them a little bit more confidence that they can challenge the uh, Attorney General. Anything else? Yes. I have this horrible feeling that the golden age of journalism may have passed after listening to this talk. I mean, so many journalists... Well, well, there been... Was there a golden age? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many journalists have been sacked. And now you're saying that the journalists that are remaining are going to have to work so much harder, spend so much more time getting that, you know, those gems of information. You think, how are we ever going to, how are the stories ever going to come to mind? Well, we're living in a world of Julian Assange and uh, Edward Snowden. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of informants out there uh, yeah. who will want to who will want to alert uh, their fellow citizens about what is really going on. And uh, I suppose. Uh, if journalists as a, a section are, are constrained, there will be there will be other methods by which it's uh, you still got the WikiLeaks and, and its equivalents all around the world. One thing I've uh, experienced with the with the digital revolution is that it is it can be so empowering mm. for informants and individuals to get out to the world, not just Australia or the, or Sydney, <laughs> to the world what is going on. And uh, that is a very powerful thing. Uh, but if the, the real courage with the informant is that they put their, sometimes their lives on the line uh, to get material out. Mm. And um, uh, that's why uh, the exposure of, uh, uh, of, of this dynamic is so important so that people can, can see. Yes, journalists are going to, we're going to have to fight, always had to fight for the, the public interest and our role mm. in it. And that will continue. But we uh, have to adapt. And adapt uh, with, with whatever constraint is placed upon us. But uh, there are other techniques and and the golden age may <laughs> return through through other means. One of, one of the great things about retaining all this data is that the data is there for journalists as well. So if, uh, if there's a decent story out there about the government that the government doesn't really know about, there's going to be some document, some paper, all the, all the same documents were restored, they, that's how you got hold of them, so I think there will always be uh, people like that who will learn to, to go out there, and, and the government is, was fortunate to have Snowden leak the way he did, because uh, he could have just dumped all the files in, you know, in a Dropbox file or something and in, in the entire world to see, but he instead went to journalists and, and they had that filter process to figure out what was worth reporting, what was maybe a bit too sensitive to report. Would the government need the legislation if it didn't behave so appallingly in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Or take that as a comment. <laughs> <laughs> that Tony Jones, he's a true That was perfect. <laughs> uh, is there any aspect of this matter that photo journalists need to be particularly aware of? So your photo, your digital photos will have um, their own metadata stored on them. So when, when you took the photo, where you took the photo all the time. Uh, so I don't know uh, if you've seen, uh, there's a, there was a story out this week uh, about a US congressman who's been taking a lot of uh, uh, 
private jet trips on taxpayers' expense, and it was uncovered because the journalist tracked the metadata of the photos of where, where he was going and then lined them all up with his uh, expenses. You can turn were, that off, though, can't you? You can, you can, but and, and something to be aware of. Yeah. Mm. It's a GPS tracker on your photos. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never photograph your genitals and send them back. <laughs> 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 Any other questions? <laughs> I think I think uh, a, that's a wrap, Claire. I actually have a question. I've been reading a little bit lately about um, chat apps, things like WhatsApp, Snapchat, and how journalists are starting to use those as tools. Yes. Does that have any bearing on this discussion? Is that something we can use? Oh, no, Josh, I want your answer, yeah. yeah. Does it? Exclude from the legislation, so you, you find it on There you go. That's one of the flaws in the legislation. <laughs> For the young lady who asked, asked the question earlier about how to use WhatsApp, Viber, all that sort of stuff. My message is encrypted too. Viber is is encrypted? Any, any, any instant messaging service that isn't owned by a company in Australia is exempt from this legislation. Right. <laughs> well, why can't I talk to my contacts on Viber domestically? No, you can. As long as Viber is not an Australian company, you're fine. I'm, I can't be tracked. Yeah. Have more questions? <laughs> Twitter? Yeah, I'm just wondering the impact of the journalists we're, we're getting on it more and more. Do you think you'll just get on it less if this comes through? Um, so, the, the, Twitter does work with law enforcement agencies to, uh, to investigate things, but they, are, they operate similar, similar levels of transparency. So, uh, while they may hand over more data to uh, law enforcement agencies in the US, they're much more reluctant to do it in Australia. And like, you've mm -hmm. seen the e-safety commissioner, the legislation that's in Parliament now that's designed to tackle uh, cyberbullying, that you know, uh, mm -hmm. can force uh, Twitter to take down posts and, and message views and things like that. Um, that's one potential aspect that could see uh, the power of the social media increase, but at the moment it seems to be fairly refined to bullying. Okay. Um, I just wanted to add that um, Josh just commented earlier that anything on email is not on a record. I would suggest that, and because of the legal background that I have, the law is not something that you should be relying on, including the current draft legislation, and that the limits of surveillance shall not be legislated. They will depend upon the technology available. Yeah. And you will never know what they have. Yeah. However, as a, a lawyer and not a journalist, I have been in contact with journalists who have been jailed overseas. And I think that you may want to consider that Australia is now coming in an era where this is going to become much more relevant. Budapest mm. being an, an unusual example, but it's going to come here. And I'm hoping that as a professional organisation, you can have more training about protecting yourselves as well as yourselves. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Super important now. Well, training to be the next standard. That's that's going to be a consequence. We'll see how the legislation goes. Before March, and then there will be a reaction to and it. And Josh will launch a training <laughs> company. <laughs> Floated on the stock exchange. <laughs> Thanks very much for your questions. Yes, thank you all, and please thank our, spe our speakers, Quentin, Carrot, and Josh. I think we can all see this is a this is a big issue, and it's not just for journalists; it's for the public, it's for people that have stories to tell, and for everyone's right to know. This is really important, so I think we'll all be watching to see the outcome of what happens with this bill. Um, we'll be back here at the library again next month on the 19th of March.
Uh, following the heels of International Women's Day, we'll have a discussion about women's equality in the media, so that should be a good one. As always, you can find out more and register on our site, walkleys.com. Thanks again. Have a great night. Thank you.